or it's just luck, like, don't listen to them because you know you're capable of doing something and you, you just go do it and something will come out of it. Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports, media, disruption, all different kinds of things. I'm Joe Favorito, and we're doing a special edition um, this week that you're listening to to talk about round ball and China. And it may not be the longest edition we're ever going to do, but it certainly probably is the tallest. Uh, because my co-host today, uh, I usually host as anyone who's listened over the past seven years is with Tom Richardson. Um, but we're privileged to have Mike Schredder, who's one of our new students into the program, uh, also 6'8", also played hoops in college. Um, and he and our guest today are probably going to make intramural basketball history sometime this year as they, they team up at 6'8 and 6'11 for our, our program. But um, so first of all, Mike, um, thanks for joining us um, and, and being a, a contributor. For those who have listened recently, you may have heard Mike's name because he is now helping produce our podcast. But in talking to him, he, he's done his own podcast for a while. He's had some really interesting guests. Um, and being a Jersey guy, we wanted to see if he wanted to come and join us and, and expose us to some of the stories that he's seeing, especially with our students. So Mike Schredder, first of all, why don't you get us started and tell us a little bit about you? Yeah, uh, really pr appreciate that, Professor. Obviously, I'm really excited to be a part of this program. Like uh, like Professor Fabrio said, I play basketball at Amherst College. I'm from New Jersey. And, you know, I've, I've always been interested kind of in the, you know, sports content, you know, media kind of sphere for a couple of years now. So, you know, obviously having the opportunity to be here is really exciting and, you know, be able to also talk about students you know, stories and kind of, I'm a big, big into storytelling. I've always been kind of that way. I think it's cool to kind of peel under the curtain in a sense and kind of get the stories of how these different students and athletes have gotten to where they've now gotten to. And, you know, obviously the, our guest here has a lot to, that he's probably going to be able to share about that. So, you know, without further ado, uh, you know, we probably should get into our guest, Mike Gow. So really excited to have him on. Um, yeah, and, and Mike Gow um, also just joined our program. Um, played basketball, Division Three basketball at Brandeis. Um, and one of the more interesting things is not as much what he's doing in our program, but what he's doing with the career path right now, especially as we have so many global students who like to listen in. Uh, he's working, especially on the digital social front, with the NBA in their engagement in China. So, so Mike Gao, welcome to the Cusp Show. Thank you for having me, guys. Um, mm -hmm. Privileged and Oh, happy to talk to you guys. Um, yeah, let's get started. So, so uh, Mike, Gal, I want to ask you, first of all, give us a little bit about your background, um, what it was like even to play D3 basketball. And Mike Schroeder, you can chime in as well, because uh, you had a pretty accomplished high school career before you even got to college. Um, and then how did, uh, this is specifically from for you, Mike Gal, how did the experience that you had in college uh, as a as an athlete, even at the Division three level, obviously, um, help prepare you for the lessons that you learned there for, for what you want to do going forward? Yeah, so first of all, I didn't really start playing high, uh, basketball until I was in ninth grade and when I moved to the States. So I didn't have a, a really accoladed career like Mike Shredder here for his uh, high school. But, um, yeah, I'm kind of like a late bloomer in, in terms of uh, playing basketball and going to Brandeis. I, um, 
I didn't know what Brandeis University was before I actually committed. So I just went over there pretty blind and with without like anybody really helping me at all because I'm from LA and both of my parents are all immigrants where they don't really know about the social landscape and just kind of like the overall society here in the States. So I just got to kind of figure everything out by myself. And coming to Boston, East Coast for the first time ever, that first year, it was a, a bit of a challenge for sure. Because um, just the difference between high school and college basketball is really different. And just like the scheduling, like Mike, you should know how tough the schedule is because basically it's a six-month sport when, when you're talking about the season. You see, like, volleyball, they start in August. They're probably done by before the break. And for basketball, it's, we start uh, October, and they're ending by March. So it's a really long season, and just going through it and trying to maintain my mental issue, mental health issue, and my body, and still got to go out and practice and perform six days a week is really tough. But from that, for all the challenges that the coaches are giving me and all the challenges I got throughout the year to, you know, overcome like the mental and physical just fatigue. And then from that point on going forward, it's like, okay, I kind of understand how to work as a team. I kind of understand how to work effectively, how to be a leader. And I feel like, and also communication and, those are essentially most uh, the most important things later on. It's not necessarily what grade you got. That's like undergrad. I thought, okay, if I get a four point I'll get all all the, all the jobs offers and all that. But nah, it's I feel like it's leadership, it's communication, it's how you talk to people, how you connect to people. So that experience definitely helped me mm -hmm. for that. Yeah, I think I think honestly on on that end too, uh, something I could follow up a little bit with yep. is. You know, on high school, you know, for me, you know, growing up in New Jersey, you play pretty competitive basketball. But the big thing when I went to when I went to college, I mean, I played against some guys that were my size in high school. But big thing was just the speed. I think my I think Mike can definitely mm -hmm. relate to that. It's just that the speed of everything is quicker. We didn't have we, don't, we have no shot clock in New Jersey high school basketball, which I wish they did because the games wouldn't be forty two to forty if they did have a shot clock. And in college, that was a big adjustment because you ha everything has to be that much quicker. Um, but Mike, I, I was wondering too, kind of where in that landscape when you were at Brandeis, did you want to get into what you are doing now for the NBA? Like a lot of social content stuff, right? And especially like the global and partnerships division, like you're working specifically with the, the China, you know, fans and you're trying to promote that content to them, you know, talk a little bit about kind of what led you down that path, because I think that's pretty interesting. And again, I think a lot of people don't necessarily think about how global the game of basketball really is. Yeah, I'll just throw out a number here first. So in China alone, so when we talk about like global fans, China is by themselves, like it's not continent, it's just China. And China have the most fans in the world compared to any other continent. Specifically so, for basketball. For basketball, like NBA, mm -hmm. yeah. So for example, like North America, like the home market of the NBA, there's probably over 90 million followers in china is 274 or something like that so it's just one country alone it's the impact is massive like it's huge but 
I'm just going to answer the first question first, Mike. Uh, so uh, talking about how I got into the social content landscape, Brandeis didn't really get me into the social content landscape because there's just no resource for sports at all. We don't have one sports course. So there's no way I'm getting exposed to all all, all the outside, like, big old sports sports world. And also COVID hit my, my freshman year. So so I was basically, my first year I played, and then second and third year is basically all COVID restricted. And, yeah, there, there's a lot of mandates, and I didn't really get the chance. But there's an interesting story of how I got started with the social content landscape was uh, I actually got invited to a Brooklyn Nets game for their AAPI night. And um, I was chosen to um, be a part of, you know, like the skills challenge in between mm -hmm. quarters. And um, so I got, I so I got on the court, um, dribbled down the floor, knocked down the shot, come the other way, dunked the ball. And I basically went viral on Chinese uh, internet, like Chinese TikTok. I think it's still like one of the top trending posts of that's a, that's amazing. Nets. Yeah. <laughs> so that one got uh like thirty one million likes or something. I was like, wow, like me getting thirty one million likes on like Chinese social platform is crazy because like that's a astronomical number and I just I was just realizing like, the power of social media. And another I guess motivation for me to do this is because I want to know people and I want to learn what they do so I could really shine a light like my biggest goal in life is probably shine a light on uh, college athletes like the smaller people mm -hmm. the D3 athletes the D2 athletes the junior college athletes of their mental health issue over the entire semester uh, or uh, entire their uh, entire season because like the six month season like I live with the basketball team for four years in undergrad and I could see the trend of before the season, mid season, after season, how their mood and how their personality shifted. And mm. that's kind of like what I want to do later on in my life. So that's why I want to kind of dive into the social and like content world basically, and just learn as much as possible. All right. So, so I want to go back. So there's two pieces. First, Mike Gow, I want to ask you this question, but for the two of you guys, uh, I want to talk a little bit about time management and what it's like to be a, a D3 basketball player on two different campuses, one of which, Brandeis, and it's funny to talk about, people talk about, you know, bigger colleges now and the travel across the country. Well, Brandeis playing in the UAA, we're going to Washington University in St. Louis and other places already. So you had already managed that on the, on the D3 level. But before we talk about that, tell us more about you do this video. Obviously, my guess is they saw some 6'11 Chinese guy sitting in the stands and said, oh, let's put him in this video um, or let's give him the contest. What did that – when did you realize that suddenly this had, had gone viral in China? And then do you have any idea how it happened? Like did the Nets take it? Did the NBA put it out? And how did that lead you to the opportunity now that you have at the NBA? Yeah, so Brooklyn Nets is – there's a lot of – Chinese and like focused departments because of their owner Joe Tsai and he Makes put sense. an emphasis on yeah, yeah he put an emphasis on how to market the nets in China because he sees it as the biggest market mm -hmm. and I it was put out by the Brooklyn Nets TikTok not the NBA so it was put, right. put out by the Brooklyn Nets TikTok 
which have the biggest follow, like biggest followers, in on Chinese TikTok because they really put effort into creating their own content, like original content, and um, just talking. Uh, how did I get into it? Like how did how did that? So how, how did that it? bridge? How did that bridge from that moment with this ridiculous yeah. amount of followers to what you're doing now? Yeah, so I got in touch with their social content manager, basically. They're being the, the Nets or the NBA? The Nets. Okay. And just because it's a small circle for like people focusing on Chinese marketing in the NBA, it's a really small circle. So once you know somebody, you'll know another person. You'll know another person. You'll mm-hmm. know another person. So that's how I got started. And from that point on, it kind kind of uh, actually led me to my uh, my internship that summer. As I want to do something social content related, and I want to do something NBA related. So I actually went to uh, this NBA trainer called Jordan Lolly, which focuses on social media. He's a big YouTuber and kind of influencer. And there's also NBA prospects training there. So I kind of got a bit of both over that internship. And just from that point on, just trying to figure out what I get and what I have in my hand and just see what I, uh, like, as, okay. as so, I go, so kind of, yeah. Go back to that one more time. So you had an internship where? Uh, it's uh, in Irvine with Jordan Lawley. Jordan Lawley, his, okay. Yeah, and his basketball program, yeah. Got it, okay. Um, so that's so that led you obviously to where you are right now, and we'll talk about what you're doing in a couple of minutes. And obviously, Mike Shredder, if you have some questions, but for the two of you guys, can both of you talk a little bit about because it's funny, Mike Gal, that you just mentioned um, about mental health and the strain? Because I actually talked about this in class this past week, and I've been very involved with programs around athletes and mental health because of the pressure that is put on, especially at the Division three level where you're, you're a part of a community, but not really part of a community. Uh, and there was a time two years ago where over the course of 18 months, there were 32 Division One, Two, II, and Three athletes who committed suicide. And I saw that as a crisis and tried to actually make a bigger deal about it. And it, it never kind of went anywhere because it's, it's kind of gone back and forth. Um, but the reason why I bring that up is I would like you guys to talk about the difference when people think, oh, you play basketball in college, it's a lot different, you know, going, you know, high division one, mid-major, Ivy League, D2 scholarship, down to D3 where it's non-scholarship, but the demands are the same. So can both of you, Mike Schroeder, maybe you go first, talk about your, like, what was your day-to-day like and how did you learn how to balance the things that you were doing for D3 basketball? Yeah, I think that's actually an excellent question because I think a lot of people don't talk about it and or understand it really. So my day was, again, I was a guy who would work out a lot outside of practice. So it'd be a lot of stuff in the mornings, uh, like really early morning lifting weights and getting in the gym early just because, when again, in high school, I was the best player on the team uh, my senior year. And then I go into college and not that at all, right? I'm competing with 6'11 guys who, especially one guy who led the conference and uh the conference tournament and history he has the conference tournament record for block shots who's that uh this kid joe schneider he had like 12 block shots i think it was something crazy like that it might have been less but it was like around that for mm-hmm. two games um he had like seven blocks in one game <laughs> um wow. so 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 you have that to start out with you have that and then you have the demand 
So I was a you know doing an econ and psych to start out with in college, then I tried to switch over to psychology. So you have the demand of like like Brandeis Amherst College is a very high academic school, a lot of work. And the big thing for me, it was a bit of a time management struggle at the beginning because you have practices for two to three hours. Uh, and then you have obviously you have, you have the meals and you have the classes and you have outside workouts. Big thing I had to learn going through that is A, who like my friend group is really going to be that I can, you know, be able to balance that out. And for me, luckily that my teammates became that and outside of that too, just from being more social, I think, as I went through college. And number two, I think the big thing for me is I, I literally had like a, you know, had to go through my calendar and schedule block out times. Like, when am I doing this? When am I doing work? Like try to get ahead of it early because the big thing is like, I wanted to make sure I was as best prepared for what I was doing basketball wise with my school, because, you know, the big thing is, you know, you, you can play pro out of the D3 level. There's definitely guys who have done that and been successful, but the probability is is not as high as going to a division one or division two school. So I had to prepare myself for my future. So being able to try and work that around, especially when I started working jobs too, it just became a lot of just like organizing my calendar to figure out, okay, how do I keep myself sane during this entire process? And it's not easy to do. Like I'm sure Mike Gao can talk a lot about that too. So Mike, you can go ahead if you want to chime in a little bit. Yeah, I just feel like when you look at the resources given to you from a D1 perspective and a D3 perspective, it's that it's such a big deficit because when you go when you're looking at high D1 majors, they're just basically professional athletes and they get all the help around them and whatever they need with academic, with their daily lives, how to plan things out, just every little things. There's resources for them, but I don't know about Amherst College, but Brandeis does. They don't have any resources for us, mm. and the best thing they probably do for us is probably a snack bar, and wow. yeah. But um, as Professor Favorito said, uh, we're the only D three uh, conference that actually travels around the country on and planes. on planes. Yeah, and it just created a bigger, I guess management issue because Brandeis academically is a really kind of intensive school where we have all these Harvard, Yale graduate professor, PhDs that we're, we're basically professors say having the same workload as like Harvard students and we have to mix class when we go on the road we have to mix class Thursday and Friday and we'll have a game Friday, and we'll fly Saturday for another game on Sunday, and we'll be back at usually two a.m. in the morning of a Monday. And there's and as a freshman, you get eight a.m. classes on Mondays. Right. So just balancing that out, and with that Monday being your only off day, and then it just goes on for the, the another week, and another week, and another week. How do you balance that? It's very difficult from a like a D three athlete's perspective. I have a quick so, follow up to that. Wait, so, hey, for, for both of you guys, was it worth it, Mike Shredder? Yeah, I, I I thought it was. From I think it's interesting. I think it's it's. I would say from a basketball standpoint, I was able to really get a really close knit group of friends at you through a lot of that because everyone's kind of going through different experiences. I was lucky in terms. I found a lot of really close knit friends. So that was like a really good thing. Um, and it, it was worth it for a sense because it really kind of propelled me to going into 
the eventual career I want to go to and leading me to Columbia. Right. And I think mm -hmm. if I didn't, I, I made my kind of my own path there. Like Mike talked about, there wasn't a whole lot. There wasn't sports classes really there. Like sports psychology was really the only thing they really taught there. Right. And, um, and for me, I, I had to go to the, you know, SID at Amherst. I had to go to the broadcasting networks that broadcast their games. You know, I even went over to UMass and did some stuff there. And it was basically just like, okay, since I've done this and had to, you know, put myself into a position where I had to advocate for the, the best things I can do for myself and others um, that helped me kind of say, okay, where can I propel my career going forward? So from that standpoint, it was totally worth it. And the competition was really good to be fair. So like I, I got a lot better at basketball in my four years, I guess five, because I took a year off for COVID. But, you know, from that standpoint, just because I was consistently always going against guys that were really good and taller than me. So I had to learn how to be a, more strategic basketball player from that standpoint, being the uh, the smallest center on our basketball team my senior year um, at six eight was pretty uh, interesting uh, from that standpoint compared to being you know the normally the tallest guy on my high school team you know in, in throughout my town. So from that standpoint, it was definitely worth it. Cool, uh, Mike Gow, same thing. Yeah, I feel like worth it. I I don't I don't I still don't have an answer for that till now because I, I i'm thinking about it all the time it's like what did i get out of it and how did it affect me and what did i uh what did i get out of it i the, as i said the competitions like i already have all the challenges in that like when i played basketball when i get out of playing basketball when i look at other things and deadlines and projects i'll be like okay that's not that big of a deal because i've been through a, a heavier workload with basketball and academic and that the other things it's easier to juggle mm. but like the everlasting effect of you know mental health issue is like there all the time interesting and and just a couple weeks ago i was like watching last chance you and then that mm -hmm. feeling just kind of came back to me because it's very similar of how these kids, it's their last chance and how they're tr training throughout the year and how kind of their mental health and how their body language has changed throughout the year. So mm -hmm. it just kind of hit me again because I'll just go back and think about it. And uh, as Max said, um, he, had, he bonded with a close group of friends, his basketball guys. But when I look back, I feel like I needed another group of friends just outside of basketball so can do something outside of basketball, talk something outside of basketball. So it kind of gave me a balance of, you know, I actually have a life and it's not going to be basketball after it's four years. As you said, there's barely any D3 athletes that make it out and be successful in the professional career, like professional basketball career. So that transition out, it's like, how do you, you can't just be in basketball for four years with all basketball 24 seven. You need to figure yourself out. How, where do you move on? Mm -hmm. Right. Mike went to the podcast station. He's got to figure his things out. I got to do my, like, I got to move away from basketball. I got to find my own opportunities. So I feel like that's what, what kind of, what I got out of my college basketball experience. Yeah. Well, but the other side of it is, if you weren't a basketball player, you probably would not have gotten picked to do the thing at the Nets. 
you probably would not have the opportunity at least right away that you've gotten now, which is tremendous. So that's the example of, yeah. you know, we've talked about this about showing up and it's amazing when you show up what happens. Yeah. Um, and Mike Schroeder, I'll, I'll obviously give you, you know, feel free to chime in here, but I'm uh, transitioning now to what you're doing today. Can I'm sure most people understand, and we don't have to go back about the issues that the NBA had in China a couple of years ago with Daryl Morey and CCTV and um, the, the global impact of something that nobody really saw coming. Um, and now a lot of that, my understanding is that it's kind of found its way back to a sense of normalcy, which is your part of that. So can you give us a, a bigger snapshot of first what you're doing day to day and then also the landscape, not just on the numbers, but like how engagement goes with China on the other side of the world, not just with the NBA, but in basketball in general. So, so what's, what's the snapshot of when you look at NBA China now, the size, the scope, who are they following? How does it work? Where are they following? Like what platforms? And also kind of like what your day-to-day is. I also yeah, have a follow so, that, by the way. <laughs> sure. Yeah, so I'm, I'm still a rookie. And uh, I kind of joined before the season started. So I didn't really get the gist of it yet. But I kind of, my uh, coworker has really kind of given me an overview of what I'll be doing. So basically, I'll be traveling once per month to the West Coast to cover like four or five games a week. So hopefully I don't miss a lot of classes because I really enjoy all of them. But and that's great that you're not taking my class then. So thank you very much. <laughs> I'm sorry. No. I'm sorry, Professor, but I'm looking forward to your class in the following semesters. But yeah, just going to the games and we're I think we're doing live streams before the game to interact with Chinese fans and kind of capturing contents live and transferring back to the China team. And uh, as Professor said, with the relationship with the CCTV now, it's kind of transitioned to more like mobile platforms and like sports platforms and big streaming networks. So instead of a state state funded like sports network, it's being transferred to like Tencent, transferred to like Weibo, it's transferred to Kuaishou, all these kind of like TikTok, but there's difference in all these platforms and what each of the platform are doing. Just for example, like Tencent Sports, they do they don't really do the short videos like TikTok. They want a bigger production. They want to make their film look nice and want original content. Whereas Kwaisho, it's short videos, short and sweet, like TikTok, you just people just swipe. And yeah, just basically working with these partners, whatever whatever they want. Every partner had their own obligation and how many games that they had for live stream and broadcast and just working for that with that obligation and kind of managing all their reporters frontline at all the games is what we do. So, so my follow up to that is, you know, I, I learned in my marketing class, the idea like the NBA fans that consume the most games and go to the most games are 18 to 34, right? That's like a big thing. When you are promoting content, are, are there specific age groups you guys are looking to to target content to specifically? Or do you guys know that? I mean, I know you said you, you're just starting out, but is there like when you guys are promoting these content to the Chinese basketball fans, are there specific age groups you guys are trying to target more? And if so, what kind of content are you trying to get to them? Actually, there's no 
I, I don't think there's any age, like 18 to 34. It's just to the general public because okay. NBA as a game is, has such a big impact in China. Just when you think, when you're thinking about it, Chinese, um, like chi Chinese audience, they don't have exposure to football. They don't have exposure to baseball. They don't have exposure to hockey. And the Chinese soccer league is, we, we're not going to get into that. So mm. basketball, NBA is the biggest uh, international platform that the Chinese fans have access to. And just if, if you guys ever visit China, which you guys should, like I recommend it as a trip, it's amazing. But just looking at how impactful the NBA has on these kids and all, all like everybody, like when you walk on the street, everyone's wearing jerseys. Like there's no age limit. You can't see a 40 plus year old like person wearing an NBA jersey. Like it just had that big of an impact in China. And there's a really big need for the Chinese fans. But from what I realized, uh, from what I've learned is that they're looking for more technological advanced kind of experience in watching the NBA. So how do they get 4K? How do they have better content? So that's kind of what they're hoping for. But when we're like giving out, like giving out content, it's not towards a specific fan, uh, like specific age group, it's towards entire Chinese fans. What would the Chinese fans be interested in, in, in the NBA? So for example, Kyle Anderson will be like, okay, how do we get more Kyle Anderson content in? Okay, LeBron saying, or actually, there's another one. It's uh, Grant Williams saying that, okay, for the rest of my life, if I only pick one food, I'll pick Chinese food. I'm just trying to dive into that. If we dig into that, what kind of Chinese food you like? Just creating that sense of connections between the Chinese, the entire Chinese market to the NBA. I thought um, I have to that. Sorry. Uh, go ahead, go ahead. What, yeah, I, I was thinking just, obviously you you have kind of alluded to this but you you grew up in, in china before you came over to the states like how much influence it does that have in what you're doing now because i feel like that you and i discussed off camera a little bit about this but i feel like that has to have an influence of just like you want to giving back you know good content and giving back the game of basketball that you love to a huge audience right and how much of just the upbringing of growing up in china for a little while helped influence that yeah so when I was in China, I, I like I still remember uh, it was the Miami and San Antonio series when Ray Allen hit that shot. I would set alarm and wake up in the morning to watch it. And the only thing that I was missing from my whole NBA watching experience was the behind the scene and what the players are like and just like the original contents. Like when you see it on TV back then when I was growing up, you only see the game and nothing else. There's no context. But now it's I know me being a really like diehard basketball fan, I want to see more. I want to see who these athletes are, what they're doing every day. Some of the stuff that you don't see on camera, <clears throat> like just about themselves. And that's like, I really wanted to do that. It's like later in my like career, it's like focus on these athletes. Like they're as a person, not as a merchandise. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah. And oh. growing up, just, okay. Yeah. No, so, so, Mike, also off of that, one of the things I, I, I've come to understand, but maybe it's not true, maybe you can clarify, the, the approach that the NBA had had for China for quite a while, and it was, uh, I would imagine, started really kind of growing with Kobe and Tracy McGrady and, and, and Dwayne Wade, 
um, Vince Carter, obviously Yao, um, but it was much more, uh, and then obviously, you know, wherever Jeremy Lin fits into that, but, but um, it was much more driven on the athlete versus the team. So it was fans of Kobe Bryant, less fans of the Lakers, fans of Shaq, less fans of the Magic. Has that changed now as you're going into your job? Like, are there actual large groups? You mentioned the Nets, large groups of just Nets fans, or is it still driven by the superstars? So, like, there's a mix of both. When you're talking about the bigger franchises, you'll always find Laker fans that, like, watch the Lakers. But when you're talking about, like, small market teams, it's really rare. And all I guess it's still depending on the connection of the Chinese fan base. It's like there are a lot more Timberwolves fans now because of Kyle Anderson. So it's always true. It's always driven by that one individual that appeals to the Chinese mass market. And like back and still like Rockets now, there's a lot of Rockets fans, even though they're not good, just because of Tracy McGrady and Yao Ming. And that impact of it's just a long lasting impact. It's like generations, like when a pops tells their kid, oh, when I watch Yao Ming on the Rockets, blah, blah, blah. And their kids will be like, okay, like growing up in this, like, okay, my dad's telling me Houston Rockets, Rockets, Rockets. Okay, I'm going to be a Rockets fan. And that is, is a really interesting, like, it's a really interesting habit or kind of what they want is that connection. They need the connection or else they, they don't, they don't have a reason to really watch those smaller market teams and mm-hmm. like an uh, individual team just based on, oh, they play great basketball. It's not just like that. It's more of a connection based. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then yeah, what, geographically, I have one more question. Um, is the interest in basketball, NBA specific basketball, is it targeted more towards the larger cities or when you go out into the countryside, which is obviously very vast, do you still see and and will your task with NBA China marketing to the entire country or is it just more the urban the urban connections where you have math, lar- really large followings? Yeah, so in those small uh, like the villages, there's still presence of NBA fans, which is crazy. Right. And when when I was just looking on TikTok, one uh, there's an influencer. Um, they live in the mountains basically and uh, one of them looks like Kobe and the fans started saying oh you look like Kobe you look like Kobe and he found another dude that you know impersonates Shaq and they're like the village Kobe and Shaq and that's just a very interesting they have like wooden like they built their own hoop basically from what they can like get they put it on I think the side of their house or something and they're just impersonating these like these players all the time. And I feel like the influence of the NBA is not just like t- tailored for those big urban, like big city, urban city consumers. It's for everyone because it's for that everybody can play. Like those guys in the mountains, when they build up a hoop to have a ball, they can play the game and they can, you know, do their thing and do their live stream online. And people watch it. Like, people actually go watch it. Like, them shooting hoops. So, it's just that. And from there, like, from that point on, there's a lot more, like, basketball-associated, like, uh, events happening just outside of the big cities. 
And I feel like it's amazing how the game has grown in China and how they're organizing everything. And I just feel like if the NBA is on the right, uh, if the NBA is having a steady relationship with the Chinese market, it can only grow from here. So, Mike, when you talk about the, the that the Shaq and Kobe imitators, and you talk about people watching the live stream, just to give it an idea of scale, do you know it's like is it thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people watching these guys dunk in the mountains, pr- portraying those guys? I feel like there's some hits, and so they have a climate, and they have the downside, but yeah, they still they're still doing it. But I feel like I think I I don't have the exact number, but hundreds of thousands for sure that's that's unbelievable i mean when you think about the science of trying to build that scale in europe or north america you know for any team or any influencer you know um is really kind of mind-boggling to get your mind around you know or your head around how big that is and and you know what casual content means and which is incredibly valuable i would imagine to the league because um, that's that's an audience that would normally be watching that they can engage that has an affinity. Um, one other question, and then I, I think Mike Schroeder's got one more follow-up and then uh, we'll ask a couple of questions and wrap up. But um, what are the platforms? Because obviously it's not YouTube, it's not, tic- it's not um, Twitter. Talk about the platforms that you are engaging with working for NBA China with, Chinese, with the Chinese audience. Yes, Tencent. Uh, which is, uh, as I said, bigger productions, video, kind of like, it's not as long as YouTube, but like more focusing on in- the individual athletes. They have all these documentaries. Uh, they have one uh, called Call Me uh, Lee Kair, which is Kyle Anderson's uh, Chinese name. That's the most recent one. It's going through how he was um, kind of started uh, coming to China and realizing that his roots are in China and his own person uh, his own journey to basketball and his experience with the uh, the world cup and that's their latest docuseries and they do similar things with like athletes to do podcasts and all the high quality videos kind of quite show is another version of tiktok which a di- uh, with a different focus in like fan base kind of like there's a specific fan base that or, or customers that really watches quite show and um Weibo is more text-oriented. They have a really long text with a video, and that text is really well-written, edited. And uh, a smaller uh, partner will be WeChat and with their uh, WeChat channel. And that's like just starting and uh, growing with uh, videos. And yeah, just those are the main partners we have right now. And TikTok as well, correct? No, we don't have TikTok. TikTok okay. is kind of like an institutional um, platform. Okay. But it's just where all the soft advertising for NBA is so, are. So along yeah. those lines, when your video, the, the Nets video, which I still, I, I don't even know how to describe when you told me that story, but um, with, how is that video? So it gets picked up and is shown in China on what platforms? Was it? Was it that's, trans- on, that's on, that's on, that's on China. That's on Douyin. That's on the Chinese TikTok. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. My my last question, I guess, uh, big picture is, you know, you if people look at your LinkedIn, you know, you worked for Jordan Lawley, then you were at Boston Celtics, you worked for the Boston Celtics a little bit. Now you're at the NBA. 
what were the different challenges and skill sets that you learned that ultimately have helped you in your position now? Because everyone talks about internships or experience, but there had to be challenges and different skills mm-hmm. you picked up along the way that have helped you now in this position you are now. Yeah, I feel like at Jordan Lawley's, it's kind of like uh, uh, realizing you got to work harder than everyone. You got you got to be different. You got to show yourself who you are and not hold back. Because when I first got in, I was kind of I'm I'm not a out really outgoing or like outshowing person. But um, one of the trainer there told me it's like. You're 6'10", you play college basketball, you got to embrace who you are and you got to show these athletes who you are and you got to be different than everybody else here. So I was like, okay. And that's what I learned and started getting to pick up with these pro athletes. I started defending these pro athletes and they recognize me, they remember me. They like, it's just that knowing who I am and how can I be different and how can I make a difference? And when I worked at the Celtics, it's more like, how do you manage time? How do you get it in before the deadline? How do you, because I have to make something, even like a self analysis or uh, edited video with subtitles before the game on the spot. How do I get it in so they can put it in their live stream and what kind of contents I need and just kind of the brainstorming and just the working and under under pressure it was at the Boston Celtics and here at the NBAs. Right now, my biggest challenge is working in the biggest company that I've ever worked for, working with different teams, with the department, divisions, and working with an international partner, what they want, their obligations. That will be a challenge that I will be I, I guess I'll learn throughout the way and try to yeah. conquer it. So, cool. Um, so, Mike, this has been incredibly um, for both Mikes. It's been incredibly interesting to learn um, again those those kind of blowaway numbers, but how actually the sausage gets made, which I think is really important, and the two career journeys that you've had as student athletes now, looking to see what's next, but having having used that that opportunity. So, what I, I want to do when we wrap up. Um, is really, I mean, so, so Mike Gow, especially um, when, when people come along to you and I'm sure it's going to happen now that, you know, you're at NBA China and you've worked for the Celtics um, and you were around Jordan Lally and you were division three basketball player. And you're also very easy to spot because of your size. <laughs> um, when people come up to you now and say, Hey, what advice do you have? What do you tell them? What advice? That's a great question. I feel like, it's don't doubt yourself because cool. because people doubted me my whole life and that's how I got here. It's I don't believe in those doubts. I believe in myself and I want to prove them wrong. And that motivation got me here. Whenever people say you can't do something or it's just luck, like don't listen to them because you know you're capable of doing something and you, you just go do it and something will come out of it. Cool. Um, and then where do they find you on uh, you on LinkedIn? I looked up Twitter yeah. just now. Looks like you haven't been active in a little bit of a while. But where, where yeah, I'm it? not a big Twitter guy. Um, I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on Instagram uh, a lot. So those two platforms, uh, LinkedIn is just my name, Mike Al. 
and Instagram is Michael under slash thirty five. So you can find me and want to shoot me a message, I'll, I'll I'll be looking out for it. Cool. Okay. Well, um, Mike Shredder, um, I think a good first step for the Cusp Show for being a little bit of a guest host with us. I appreciate uh, you coming on. Uh, also telling your story, but you know, Mike Gao obviously now working. Uh, just getting started networking in this this tremendous opportunity with NBA China on the social side. Um, it's a tribute to your hard work, both of you guys, your, your hard work, your dedication, your grit, um, and the ability to kind of get stuff done, which is is really important. So I, I want to thank both of you guys for coming on. Uh, Mike Shredder, I think we'll probably be hearing more from you as the semester goes on and we find some other you know unique stories that are going to be out there that, that we think we should share. Um, but Mike, yeah, we wish you all the luck. Um, I think it's going to work out tremendously. I look forward to seeing you both on and off campus, and hopefully the two of you guys will combine to bring an intramural basketball championship to uh, our <laughs> program, which would be even better. So, Will you be our point guard? Uh, no, I'll be the manager. So, oh. anyway. Just call no, we'll put Mike out point guard. <laughs> so, cool. This has been another uni- edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show. I'm Joe Favorito, usually with my co-host, Tom Richardson. Today, I'm with the great Mike Shredder, one of our students who's been stepping in from time to time. Our guest has been Mike Gao, who's working at NBA China and is on our program, uh, an alumnus of Brandeis. Uh, Thanks for listening, and we will see you down the road.